So if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And uh, just so you know, uh, men's prayer, which is listed on the announcements for tomorrow night, uh, was actually uh, hosted by uh, John Shade at the church house last Monday night. So thank you, John, and thank you, brothers, those of you who were praying last Monday night, and um, grateful for you being there. So no men's prayer tomorrow night because we had it last Monday. So just wanted to make note of that. If you could open up in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. We stopped at the end of Hannah's prayer last week in verse 11, and so we're going to read beginning in verse 12 this morning of 1 Samuel chapter 2. And this sermon here, uh, Lord willing, is going to cover 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 12 to the end of chapter 10. So um, let's, let's read God's word together. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. And here's the heart of the matter. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord a boy, think about maybe around 12 years old here, clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. What a great phrase. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I 
commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me. By fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of, your, of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the door of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord 
And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The title of the message this morning is Samuel, Priest, Prophet, and Judge. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be gathered here today to hear your word. And we pray you'd bless it to our hearts, anoint your word with power, Holy Spirit, and cause it to go forth into our hearts to transform our lives. Give us greater faith for your cause and give us greater trust in Jesus and greater passion for him. For the glory of your namesake, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the date of the, the, what's transpiring here in relation to uh, Samuel in his early years all the way up until chapter 10 is from about 1070 where there's a battle in Shiloh, which is in the next chapter. It's recorded in chapter 4. That's in 1070 B.C. And then Saul becoming king and being anointed king by the prophet Samuel happens in 1043 B.C. So we're looking at about 27 years of Samuel's life as he's, he's growing into uh, mature manhood and he's taking on more and more responsibility to care for the house of Israel. And God uses him greatly in that. In fact, that's what this message is going to be about. It's going to be about the faithfulness of God and also the faithfulness of Samuel, his servant. Saul becomes king at about 1043, but in that time period from 1070 all the way until 1043, Samuel really is one of the last judges of the house of Israel. Now, Samuel's sons also serve as judges, and they are the very last judges that serve um, in the time period of the judges or the rulers or the, the word judges is not um, adjudication in terms of courts, but the word judges is really talking about a deliverer that God raises up for his people, Israel. And Samuel was really the last great judge, but his sons also served for a little while. But sadly, Samuel sees his sons who were serving as judges, not honoring the Lord as he had done. And so we'll get into that a little bit more as it transpires. But one of the things that we're going to look at here, the first point is going to be priest. Secondly, prophet. And thirdly, judge. So let's look firstly at priest. Samuel served the Lord as a priest. Now please understand that Samuel was not in the Aaronic line of the high priesthood family, but he was a Levite and he does offer offerings and sacrifices from all the way from two all the way through ten. And even later on as well, after Saul becomes king, you might remember that Samuel asked Saul to wait for the offering and the sacrifice to be offered by him as priest because the king wasn't to offer it. The priest was to come. And so Samuel did offer sacrifices and offerings on behalf of Israel. And so he's he's fulfilling these three offices. And what we see here in this chapter, in this section in 1 Samuel chapter 2, is there's really this contrast between Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two sons, and their worthlessness really contrasted with Hannah and also her son Samuel with their fruitfulness. And so there's a really important point here as we're looking at Samuel getting raised up as a priest to see that with Hophni and Phinehas it says that they did not know the Lord and yet they were serving as 
priests in the house of God. They did not fear God. They did not honor God. They did not love God and regard God. And they held the offerings of the Lord with contempt. The fat and the the, the really best of the offerings and sacrifices belonged to the Lord. And they said, give me the meat before the fat is offered up to the Lord. And so they did not regard the way God desired for the offerings to be offered up to him. And it ultimately just shows a a lack of the fear of God in these two men. And not only did they uh, abuse their power by taking the, the meat by force, but they also committed immorality with women who were serving at the tent of meeting and abused their power there as well, but also grieved the Lord in their immorality. And so this was well known throughout Israel. And Eli was was more of a godly man, but he was not restraining his sons. We see later on here that he actually begins to to go and he entreats his sons, but he, he does nothing to put an end to their wickedness as they're serving as priests. It goes on. And, and of course, Eli actually ends up participating in what God brings by way of judgment. It's not just to Hophni and Phinehas, it's also to Eli as well. And it's a it's a sobering reality to us as I, I was thinking about this and meditating upon it as a, as a father, that there's a responsibility that we have to do everything we can in the power of the Holy Spirit and with graciousness and tenderness and love to do everything we can to preach the gospel to our sons and daughters and to do everything we can to point them to follow Jesus with our words, but also our example. And when that's not happening and we're neglecting our household, neglecting our family and focusing on everybody out there, but not caring for the ones in our own household, a uh, great effect can happen for ill as we see with in the case of Hophni and Phinehas. Now, on the other hand, if you look at Hannah and you see this woman of God and we uh, such a joy looking at her last week together with you all in chapters one and two, one through eleven. And I want you to reread, if you can, uh, her prayer. I have that, we're going to read that in care group upcoming this week again, because Hannah's prayer in 1 through 11 is wonderful. But for the sake of time, I just couldn't get into it. But we see the influence of a godly mother on the life of her son, who is serving the Lord as a, as a boy growing up into young adulthood. It's, it's such a cool description here in the passage I just read, but, but uh, Hannah would bring uh, just this this cloak and this linen effort that she would bring, and and uh, as he was getting older, she would tend to it and make sure that he was clothed properly in her in his service to the Lord. She would make a little robe and take it to him each year, and you just get a, a sense of just the affection and the ongoing care and the prayers that she had as a mother for her son as he was continuing to serve in the house of the Lord. She was attentive and she cared about the things of God above everything else in her life. And you see the impact and the difference that that makes in Samuel's life. Now, it's all by grace that Samuel serves as a priest of the Lord and God called him to that. But you see the influence again of a of a godly mother and father in the life of a young boy. And Samuel actually ends up taking up commitment as well to serve and want to draw near to God as priest. One of the beautiful images in chapter 3 is Samuel. He's ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And he also goes and lies down near the ark of the covenant of the Lord. He 
His resting place, the place where he would sleep at night, was in the temple of the Lord near where the ark of God was. And it was separated by the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And, 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 and what's so wonderful here is that the Lord speaks to Samuel. But there's this closeness that you begin to see with Samuel drawing near to God and God uh, drawing near to him and speaking his voice, his prophetic word through this servant in just a few moments. But the contrast of the worthlessness of Hophni and Phinehas in contrast to Samuel ought to get all of our attention and make the biggest priority in our lives to be to get to know the Lord. When you see the description that they did not know the Lord, they were around the things of God all the time as priests. But they had no personal relationship with God that manifested itself in love and in a holy fear and awe and trembling before God. And it's very, very possible for all of us because we're just... Many of us in this room, we've grown up in the church. Many of us are around religious things often to grow accustomed to being in the presence of the holy. And we've got to make sure, brothers and sisters, through the years that we do not allow that to happen, but rather we always stand before the Lord in reverence and in awe, remembering that our God is a consuming fire, as Hebrews talks about. Hophni and Phinehas, somewhere, they began to lose sense of that. And their lives became worthless. I, I was really affected thinking of this language of worthlessness. It, it, it doesn't mean that they were atheists, that they didn't believe in God at all. It just meant that they were functional atheists. They didn't allow their faith in God or their belief in Him to manifest itself in the fear of Him. They, they knew God, but they didn't know Him unto salvation the way that they should. And Romans chapter 3 speaks to the, the sobering reality of this in 10 through 18 where the Word of God says, None is righteous. No, not one. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. When you stop seeking God and when you give your life over to committing yourself to following your own way, like Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons did, you actually render your life worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruined and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And then here's a good description of Hophni and Phinehas. Let us all take heart to see that it doesn't describe us. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that was the case for all of us before we became Christians. For those who have truly been born again, who have repented of their sins and have trusted in Jesus, the old is gone and, new, and the new has come. And we now have a fear of God and a real desire to, to want to obey the law of God that has been placed within us by the Holy Spirit under the new covenant which is so wonderful. But what you see here is that you see the reality of no fear of God being before these men's eyes. They can serve as priests. 
and yet they do more harm than good serving there because they are just grieving God and they have no regard for the offering of the people of the Lord who are bringing their offering in the fear of the Lord and as an act of worship. So brothers and sisters, let us take heart and recognize that by not knowing the Lord and by not following the Lord, we render ourselves worthless. And let us contrast that with faithful service to the Lord that we see in the life of Samuel and we see in the life of Hannah. There was such a desire in my heart when I was a young man coming up through junior high. There was such a longing in my heart that I believe God really put there. Just I wanted my life to just make a difference on this earth. I didn't want to just go through life and just for me and just live here and die here and be gone and just not do anything of eternal value or weight or import. And there was such a fire burning in my heart to, oh Lord, help me please to be able to to be of use to this world while I'm here. The Lord got a hold of my heart and saved me and helped me to see that in becoming a Christian and in following Jesus Christ, there is nothing more useful to this fallen world that is dying and in need of a Savior than for somebody to be a true and genuine follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and who will point others to do the same. That will render your life, as Jesus says in John chapter 15, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. You will bear much fruit, and fruit that will last, fruit that will abide, fruit that will remain. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there again is this contrast, a good parallel scripture to what's seen here in the Old Testament, First Samuel 2, is the worthlessness contrasted with the fruitfulness and fruitfulness that abides. Brothers and sisters, that's why we're placed on this earth. Not to live our lives for self-indulgence and self-fulfillment, but we are placed here to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Amen? Let us be filled with zeal, even as Samuel, who is serving, even as a young priest before the Lord, was preparing to serve the Lord and, and drawing near to the ark of God every night when he would go to sleep. I love that imagery. He wasn't yet a man ready to serve the entire nation. That would come. But he was spending his boyhood drawing near to the ark of the Lord, even at night. I, I love that description in, in Genesis when it was talking about Joshua, the son of Nun, who would not leave the tent of meaning. Even after Moses and the other ones left, Joshua remained in the tent. He just wanted to stay near God. And may we as men and women of God have a heart to not want to leave the tent of meeting and to be in the presence of the Lord is our greatest delight that will prepare us for the acts of service that the Lord has for us. But I hope that motivates all of us to live our lives here with a sense of purpose because we are here to be fruitful for the glory of God. And fruitfulness will come as we know the Lord, as we abide in Christ. We won't be able to help but be fruitful. It's a promise. And all we need to do is not focus on our fruitfulness, but focus on our abiding. 
When we focus on our abiding, our lives will be fruitful. If we focus on the things of this world, and we don't know the Lord, our lives will be like Hophni and Phinehas' lives are written of here. They will be worthless. And Eli was seeing these things develop, and it's such a sad commentary that he did not restrain them. Matthew Henry, writing about that, says, Those who allow their children in any evil way and do not use their authority to restrain and punish them, in effect, honor them more than God. Let Eli's example excite parents earnestly to strive against the beginnings of wickedness and to train up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us not be passively hands-off when it comes to caring for the souls of our young ones. Let us be graciously hands-on and lovingly hands-on with them and train them up in the way that they should go and not allow them just to drift. I remember talking with a Christian father years ago now, and I remember him saying to me that he was so afraid to bring instruction to his kids who were getting a little bit older. He was so afraid to give them instruction because he was afraid that they were going to not love him anymore and they were going to rebel because he was giving the instruction. Parents can start to live in the fear of their children. The fear of losing their affection. And so the fear of losing their children's affection can tempt them to not raise them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord, which is our duty. And if we value their love and affection so much so that we won't bring gracious adjustment and training to them, then brothers and sisters, I fear that at times we, like Eli, can be guilty of actually prizing them over prizing God. Let's do everything we can, parents, to make sure that we are diligent and we learn from Eli's example and God's assessment of it to make sure that we honor the Lord over everyone in our lives. Even our children. Our families should be dear to us. And yet we should love them less than we love Jesus. He died for us. And He is our Lord. We must never hold anyone or anything in higher honor than our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So brothers and sisters, that is a really important, important principle by way of application into our lives as a church family. That's why I spent so long developing it. What's wonderful in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 35, and many of you uh, were just commenting on it even as it was being read, the promise in verse 35 says, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. What a wonderful promise. Who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. This is speaking to, prophetically, an eternal priesthood. <laughs> and Yes, indeed, it has reachings in the short term, just like prophecy in the Old Testament does. It reaches out to Zadok, the priest, who would take up 
the high priesthood during the reign of King Solomon to come. But this promise is ultimately reaching far out to the anointed one, Jesus Christ. The high priest before the Lord, who as high priest offered up the sacrifice of himself on the cross as the spotless lamb in order to atone for our sins so that we can rest here, believer, beloved, and know, in fact, it is finished. It is done. Because our faithful high priest has finished the work. Amen. And Samuel is a type of Christ. He points to Christ when he offers up his sacrifices in 2 through 10. But ultimately, the great high priest is Jesus Christ himself, which these scriptures and this promise here points to. And so there was a priest promised, and it's pointing to Jesus. One Christian said, priests offer up sacrifices. Samuel, though not in the line of Aaron as high priest, or Zadok, who became high priest later on, as a Levite and a prophet and a judge, he offers up sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And he intercedes in prayer on behalf of the people. And he serves in a priest-like manner. Numerous times he's seen making offerings on behalf of the people in repentance toward God. Christ offers up as high priest a sacrifice of himself. He is both priest and sacrifice. And uh, if, you, if you just flip your Bible, in 1 first, uh, Samuel chapter 7, we're not going to be able to read the chapter. But if you look at verse 8, if you've been able to follow along in the Bible reading plan, you might remember this story, but... It's right after Samuel begins to judge Israel. There's a great time of refreshing and revival that I'll get to in just a moment. But one of the things the people say in verse 8, look, And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. That's intercession. That's the work of a priest. That's the work of a high priest. And this ultimately points to, not Samuel's labors, but the Lord Jesus Christ's labors as our faithful high priest, whoever lives to intercede for us. And not only does he do that, but verse 9 says, So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him, Brothers and sisters, there's the work of a priest. Samuel is crying out to the Lord on behalf of the people, and he's also offering up sacrifice on their behalf. That is exactly what Jesus Christ has done and is doing for us right now. He's our advocate. He stands right now before the Father. And the question that's asked in 1 Samuel which says, who's going to intercede for us? When Eli says to his sons, if man, if you sin against man, the Lord will intercede for you. But if you sin against God, who can intercede for him? Well, the God-man can. And when the God-man comes as the faithful high priest who offers up the offering of himself once and for all, 
He sheds His blood on the cross. And being fully man, He's able to put His hand on us as man. And being fully God, He's able to put His hand on His Father. And His hand rests and intercedes on behalf of both of us. And He reconciles us to the Father so that we have nothing to fear on the day of judgment, all because of what Jesus Christ, our faithful high priest, has rendered to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's look at prophet. Prophet. What a great image here of the boy Samuel being prepared in quietude for the great public ministry he would have as a man. He was around the presence of the temple from his youth. He didn't sleep far from the ark of the Lord. But it was rare for the word of the Lord to be given in these days. This word of the Lord is speaking specifically to the word of the Lord who would, that would come through the Old Testament prophets. And here we see Samuel being raised up to be an Old Testament prophet as the Lord comes and speaks to him in chapter 3. He's earmarked as one who's going to be the mouthpiece for the word of the Lord that the Lord would minister through him to his people. Samuel was not just a priest, but he was also a prophet. And what this speaks to, ultimately, brothers and sisters, is God is faithful to minister his word to his people. He uses Samuel as his means of grace. And he doesn't, he's not dependent on man. He's able to raise up a young boy to be an agent of the word of the Lord coming through him. It's interesting, but It seems like the book of Judges and the book of Samuel was also written by Samuel. So he ministers the word of the Lord to the people of Israel live while he's alive. But he also is instrumental in us reading the scriptures that are in front of us. He was the man that the Holy Spirit spoke to and inspired to write down the book of Judges and Samuel so that we have the word of God recorded for us here in 2019. That's awesome. And there's intimacy that he has with the Lord. There is access that he has to the Lord here in the temple. And what's interesting, he doesn't know the word of the Lord yet. And three times the Lord comes to him and Samuel doesn't get it. Eli finally guides him. And you see the patience of the Lord here. The Lord just works with him and keeps tenderly initiating toward Samuel to minister to him and to give him the message that he's to give to Eli and to his house. There's intimacy and there's access to the Lord due to God taking the initiative. But brothers and sisters, laying down near the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, if think about that. Think about how awesome that would be. To lay down in the temple near the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with the veil separating the holiness of God from the unholy people of God, only feet away. What an awesome thing. But we, as new covenant believers, live during the time when Jesus tore the veil from top to bottom. And we now have access to the most holy place By the blood of the Lamb. Please hear this. Just by way of application into your own life right now. 
The access we enjoy as believers in Christ in this room is better and closer than even the access that Samuel enjoyed here in the temple with the veil still separating. Ponder that. Hebrews says, we have confidence to enter into the most holy place. Let's look at that. Hebrews 10, 19-23. I think it will be for projection. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, and let there be confidence in this room, church, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Oh, do you come in this morning burdened with an evil conscience? Brothers and sisters, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. There is no need, beloved, to stand at a distance today from God and all of His holiness because Christ has come as your faithful high priest. And the veil which once separated you from the holiness of God has been rent in two. And now you have access. And God calls you and invites you to draw near. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, And find grace to help in time of need. I love Samuel's response to the Lord that Eli gives to him. And those were good words that Eli gave. Speak for your servant hears. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us go before the Lord in our quiet times and say, Speak, Lord. As we open the word of God, let us say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And let us have ears to hear what we read in our devotional times, and what we hear from the pulpit as it is ministered to us week after week. Oh, brothers and sisters, the message that was given to young Samuel to deliver to Eli was not an easy message. It was an ear-tingling judgment against the house of Eli and his sons. The details of which would be that his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would both die on the same day by the sword, which happens in chapter 4. And the news, when it comes back to Eli that his two sons have been killed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord, which proves Samuel to be a prophet of the Lord. And also that the ark of God, which was being used sadly by Israel in chapter 4 as sort of a good luck charm, was captured by the Philistines and taken away to the land of the Philistines. Eli fell over and his neck was broken and he died after having judged Israel for 40 years. And his daughter-in-law, 
gave birth to a child that day in which she knew her father-in-law and her husband were both dead. She named the child Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel. A sad, sad day. But the word of the Lord stood firm. And the faithfulness of God carries on. Even in the darkest day of Israel where all they can say is Ichabod. The glory has departed Israel from Israel. Brothers and sisters, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, which was captured and taken into the land of the Philistines, it did just fine. And you get this section here with, it's, it's almost hilarious as you read chapter 5. And I want to invite you to read 5 and 6 and just look at the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that was captured and taken into the land of the Philistines. The Philistines triumphing over God, triumphing over Israel in arrogance, put the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord in the house of their false god, Dagon. And when they come in in the morning, Dagon is on his face. And so stubbornly, they put him up on the stand again. They come in the next day, and he's on his face again, but this time without a face and without hands. Just by way of application for us, God does not need us to defend him. He is not dependent upon man happily for his purposes and his cause to go forward In the earth, now, praise God, He uses us as means, and He gives us the command to go forth to all the nations and preach the gospel. And brothers and sisters, we will do that, and we will do that, Lord willing, till Jesus returns. But I love looking through this section where Samuel's just kind of being raised up as a young man in the temple of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant's no longer there. Where is it? It's in the land of the enemy. But guess what? God's doing just fine. And plagues break out on the land of the Philistines. And they try to move it around. And they're thinking, what do we need to do with this thing? And finally, they send it back. And they send it back on these two cows. that They put the Ark of the Covenant back on the cows. And they say, if the Ark is taken by these cows directly back to Israel, we'll know this was the Lord. And when they hooked up the Ark of the Covenant to the two cows, the cows took off, never looked back, and were lowing all the way. I love that detail in scripture. I just picture these two cows lowing, these milk cows, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord back into the land of Israel. And the Philistines watched as it was brought safely back into Israel. And brothers and sisters, what's crazy is if you look at chapter 6, verse 19, it says that some of the men of Israel, he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. This isn't Philistines. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, verse 20 of verse 6, chapter 6, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? Who is to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Brothers and sisters, there's no way for us to stand before the holiness of God unless God in love sends the Holy One, His Son, to come 
and bear our guilt and bear our sin and shame and bear it completely. And he who had no sin became sin for us and was hoisted up on the cross and pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. I was so affected reading about Hophni and Phinehas. It's just that, that sobering phrase where it just says, it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And we're, we're shocked. I heard someone say that we today are, we're not shocked by grace, we're shocked by justice. And we should not be. Because God's a holy God. You know what ought to shock us? Is Isaiah 53.10 which says, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. Speaking of Jesus. Hophni and Phinehas, two worthless men giving themselves over to sin in unrepentant sin deserve to die. Jesus Christ, the only innocent, the only blameless, the only perfect spotless lamb died not for His own sins, but He died for our sins, beloved And let that good news ring home in your heart as you ponder Samuel being a type of Christ as priest, but also as a prophet of the Lord. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus prophesied. He was a prophet just as Samuel was a prophet. Jesus was more than a prophet, but he was also a prophet. Matthew 17, 22 through 23, which we read in our quiet times a couple days ago. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill me, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. He prophesied that he would die. He prophesied that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. And just as Alex led us so well in worship, it is finished. And hallelujah, he's alive. We have something to sing Because Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king, came and prophesied that he was going to die for us. And God the Father determined that it would be his will to crush Jesus so that the fate of Hophni and Phinehas would not be ours. And mark you, brothers and sisters, every one of us in this room deserved the judgment that Hophni and Phinehas had. To never be forgiven forever is the judgment that we deserve for our sin. But instead, God put forward His Son and His Son Jesus died on the cross and was our sin bearer. He was our substitute. And He received in His body the wrath that we deserve for our sins. And it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. Because when God transferred all of the guilt over to Jesus... He crushed His Son so that He might save you and I. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And brothers and sisters, finally, I want to just talk about the point of Samuel being judged. I'm going to hit the last part of it first because I think this, the, the, the very last point I want to hit, which is in chapter 7, I think you're going to just absolutely love. Um, there, there were ups and downs during Samuel's rule of Israel as judge. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we see that Saul is chosen to be king. The people of Israel 
They want a king and they want a king for the wrong reasons. They want to be like all the other nations of the earth. And so Samuel starts to see a spiritual decline that happens after a time of revival that was unprecedented in Israel for 20 years it lasted in 1 Samuel chapter 7. But in 9, he's seeing a decline. And yet Samuel is faithful to God even in the midst of the people of God asking for a king for the wrong reasons. He is God's agent of ministering and anointing Saul king. And we're going to look at the life of Saul next week. But we see that in chapter 9 it talks about that the people come and they demand in chapter 8 Samuel because he's old and he made his son judges over Israel and they were no longer following the Lord. They said to him, You need to give us a king. And how hard it must have been to ponder that his sons were unfaithful and that Israel, after loving the Lord and repenting so well and following the Lord as king in 1 Samuel 7 and two chapters later, were desiring a king for all the wrong reasons and yet he was still faithful to the Lord as judge and represented the word of God and ministered the word of God exactly as God desired for him to minister it. He anointed Saul king. But in chapter 7, it's such a beautiful description. If you look there with me. And the men of Kiriath-Cherim, this is after the ark came back. They came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Cherim, a long time passed. Some 20 years, this is 1070 to 1050 B.C., seven years before Saul took up reign. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They lamented. What this is talking about was this was a true, pure repentance that was offered up to the Lord. They were brokenhearted over their sin, which had used the ark of God as as a good luck charm, and the way they had fallen away from the Lord, and they repent, and you see that Samuel in chapter verse 3 of, of chapter 7 says, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, and let this be an admonishment to all of us, put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. And then he gathered all of Israel at Mizpah, and he prayed to the Lord for them, and they repented, and offerings were lifted up. It was so beautiful. But interestingly enough, in this time of revival, when it was reaching really its pinnacle, the Philistines in God's providence attack right in the midst of the revival. And I just thought there's an illustration here for us that we can just desire so much for our times of returning to the Lord and growing stronger to the Lord to not be met with any opposition or attack in the midst of it and just that we would get a clear pass. And brothers and sisters, it's just not like this in this fallen world. They are repenting and they are rending their hearts as well as their garments in repentance and turning to the Lord. But what's amazing is, as Samuel, verse 10, was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But look at this second half of the verse. But the Lord thundered 
with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And look at verse 12. This is a verse many of you, you hear about in a song, but you don't often get to reflect on it just the word. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel during the time he judged Israel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by the year of Beth, uh, to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these different places. So you just see this broad ministry, broad faithfulness flowing out from the faithfulness of God to him. And he would return to Ramah for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. He didn't forget God's faithfulness. And sometimes we could wish, why God would you ordain for the Philistines to attack us as we're on our knees in repentance and making offering to you and praying to you and seeking your face and drawing near to you. And it seems like everything's breaking loose for bad or for ill. Brothers and sisters, God ordains such things in our lives because without them, we would never have occasion to place a stone of remembrance for our lives and to say, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Amen? He has helped us. And he's going to see us through. We are weak, but he is strong. What a wonderful judge over Israel to lead the people of God into remembrance of the Lord. May God use all of us as men and women and children to do everything we can to remember all the good that God has done. We are so apt to forget what Ebenezer stone needs to be placed in our households to where we remember that thus far the Lord has helped us. Where can we remember and give thanks to the Lord today that you know what, as hard as things are in our lives right now and as beat down as we are, and yes, Philistines keep coming at us as we're trying to make offering to the Lord. The attacks don't quit, but you know what? This is what's stronger. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And He's going to see us through. All the way to heaven, brothers and sisters. We are going to get there bruised and battered. But mark you, we are going to get there. Hang in there. For it won't be too long before we see his face. It's all going to be worth it. Let's hold fast. For he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we in this room, have stones of remembrance that we can place. Help us to have eyes to see it. Lord, we tend to be people who move right on to the next problem after one's solved. Would you please change that disposition in us, Holy Spirit? Help us when you thunder forth and drive away the Philistines for a season. 
Help us to be like Samuel and place that stone of remembrance and say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Almighty God, we thank You so much for sending Your Son to be the true prophet, priest, and greater than any ruler or judge. Prophet, priest, and king. Oh Jesus, You fulfilled all three of those offices perfectly. And Samuel was merely a type of You and a pointer to You who fulfilled it all perfectly and then died on the cross and rose again to save us so that we might enjoy You and Your presence forever in heaven. Oh Lord, heaven is going to be so much better than Samuel lying peacefully in the temple floor by the ark of the living God. We will be with You and the dwelling of God will be with man. Emmanuel, God with us, we will be with You and with You forever and all of our troubles will be over. But for now, You call us to fight. You call us to persevere. Help us to, like Samuel, help us to be faithful in good times and bad, in times of revival and in times of relapse. Help us to continue to stay faithful when things are joyful in our lives and when our eyes are filled with sorrow and tears. Make us of this Spirit, Holy Spirit, Let us be faithful as Samuel was faithful and as Christ was perfectly faithful because you who have promised are faithful and our trust and our hope is in your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, and we're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a wonderful week and remember how God has been faithful to you. And thus far, the Lord has helped us. Amen? (laughs) Amen.